turn to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. <clears throat> you know, singing, of course, this passage for the next chapter, actually, they're going to be singing around the throne. I can't wait. I mean, Brother Hoyle is going to be able to carry a tune. He's going to sing like nobody's business. Isn't that going to be wonderful? Yeah. You know, I can't imagine what it's going to be like. You know, I'm baritone, so I can't hit a low bass note, and I can't hit a high tenor note. But I think in that day, I'm going to be able to hit them all. I'll be able to know what they're all saying, too. Uh, but anyway, it's going to be a wonderful day. Revelation chapter 4, verses, I'm going to start getting verse 1, says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. Upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, there were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face of a man, as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created title of the message tonight simply in the courtroom with God in the courtroom with God so let's look to the Lord in prayer Heavenly Father we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word I pray as we look in the word of God tonight that we would be encouraged and strengthened in our walk with you and may you be glorified we pray in Jesus name amen court is in session the judge of all the earth the almighty is on his throne and those being judged today, here in chapter 4, are his own people, whom he has redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So as we consider the courtroom here before us tonight, I want to notice several things about this. And the first thing I just want to mention, there is some symbolism here, as there is in a lot of the book, some of the book of Revelation. You know, it, the book of Revelation is to be taken literally, like the rest of the Bible, unless it clearly says otherwise. But if you notice in verse uh, 3, it says, And he that sat was to look upon like 
a jasper. So, you know, again, think about it. John's seeing things in heaven that he's trying to describe so that we can understand. He's trying to describe it so that you and I can understand it in our finite minds. And there's some things that we can't fully grasp, we can't fully understand. Uh, notice verse 6. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. That's not apparent. You know, we think parents have eyes in the back of the head. That's not apparent. But it has, it's full of eyes before and behind. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't quite picture that. But it says, and the first beast was like a lion, second beast like a calf, the third had a face as a man. So he's, 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 he's trying to describe, he's looking at things that he don't really know what it is, but he's trying to describe it so that we can understand what it looks like. So there's some symbolism here. And, and, uh, and the other thing I want to mention is God doesn't tell us everything. There are some things here we can't be dogmatic about. For example, everything about the four and 20 elders. Um, you know, but God gives us what you and I need. I mean, if, he, if, if, if God was to write everything down about himself, the whole world would not contain the books. That's what John said in John chapter 21. Or John chapter 20. I think in John chapter 20. Uh, no, but he has given us what we need. He doesn't give us other details that we don't need. We don't really need to know everything about these four and 20 elders. But I'm going to give you what I think I know. Anyway, but there's some things I do know. First of all, I want to see the character of the one sitting on the throne. It's the character of God. The character of God. And we see here the sovereignty of God. In verse 2, again, it says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So there's a throne. And a throne says, I can do as I please. That's what a throne says. I can do as I please. And you see, God is sovereign. In Romans chapter 9, in verse uh, 20, he's, the Bible says, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? In the book of Job, in Job chapter 36, Job chapter 36, and uh, verse 22, the Bible says, Behold, God exalteth by by his power, who teacheth like him? Who hath enjoined him his way? Or who can say, Thou hast wrought iniquity? Remember that thou magnify his work, which men behold. Every man may see it. Man may behold it afar off. Behold, God is great, and we know him not. Neither can the number of his years be searched out. You know, God is sovereign. He is beyond us. He's beyond us. Psalm 66, verse 7 says, He ruleth by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. The word selah means think about it. Jeremiah 10, 12 says, 
He hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom and hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion. And in Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40 and verses 25 through 31, it ends with that very familiar verse, but, but, but in chapter 40 and verse 25, beginning at verse 25, he says, To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their hosts by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, neither is there searching of his understanding? He giveth power to the faint, to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. So whom can you liken unto the Lord? There isn't any. He is sovereign. And we see his attributes here given for us in this passage. There's demonstrated... I believe, by the four beasts. And these are interesting. These are, these are the cherubims that are described also in Ezekiel. We're going to go there in a minute. But what you notice some things about this. And, and they demonstrate for us, I believe, that the, the attributes of God, for example, his omniscience. In verse 6 it says, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. In the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were full be, four beasts full of eyes, before and behind. Before and behind. You know, our God knows and sees all things. He sees everything. He knows about everything. He knows our struggles. He knows our doubts. He knows our fears. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths. And he, and he also sees everything that goes on in the world. You know, sometimes we think, why doesn't God do something? Is he watching? Oh yeah, he's watching. He's watching, but this is the day of grace. Where God is allowing man to do his own thing. There's going to come a day when that's all going to end. But, but God knows everything. He, he knows. He's all knowing. You know, in John chapter 2, you know, after, the, after Jesus turned the water into wine, you know, there were those that were to follow or believe in him, but he said he did not commit himself to man, for he knew what was in man. He knew all men. You know, he knows our thoughts afar off, the Bible tells us. You see, these are, these are pictured with eyes before and behind. Omniscience. There's also, it speaks of his omnipresence. You know, God is everywhere. He's the one that was, is, and is to come. Go to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. And I hope nobody ever asked me to preach from the book of Ezekiel. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> or preach through it. Uh, I did hear a pastor one time, Pastor Ronnie Simpson, preach from this chapter over at 
Wilson, and he did a, did a very good job, I thought. But, but, and I agree with what he said. But anyway, but he's, he, he, what he brought out is he's talking here about God sees the big picture. He sees the end from the beginning. And in, in uh, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of, here it is, four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. And everyone had four faces, and everyone had four wings. Now, it's a little bit description, a little bit different description, because Ezekiel's given the description, not John. I think that's the only difference. Uh, and their feet were straight feet, and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot. So there we have the calf. And they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. They had the hands of a man under their wings, so they have wings, on their four sides, and the four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went. They went, every one, straight forward. And as for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man, the face of a lion on the right side, and the, face, and the four had the face of an ox on the left side. They four also had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces, and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings and every one were joined one to another, and two covered their bodies, and they went every one straight forward, whither the spirit was to go, they went, and they turned not when they went. As for the likeness, there's that word likeness, of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, and like the appearance of lamps, it went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now as I beheld the living creatures, behold, one vessel upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces, the appearance of the wheels and their work was like unto the color of a burl, and they four had one likeness, and their appearance and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they went, they went upon their four sides, and they turned not when they went. As for their rings, they were so high that they were dreadful, and their rings were full of, again, full of eyes round about them four. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went by them, and when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Uh, and whithersoever the spirit was to go, they went. Thither was their spirit to go, and the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. Now, I'd like one of you to explain what all that means. But John is describing a creature that can go in any directions and sees in all directions. And can go in any direction and, and not turn. It, it, I can't quite grasp it. You know, Ronnie Simpson he had, even had made a, a, a thing out of paper and cardboard to kind of, and it had wheels all you know on all four sides. It had wheels and it had a meal, wheel in the middle. And I can't remember exactly what I should have taken a picture of it, but you know, but he, but basically what he said was, you know, God sees everything. He see, you know, and the Bible tells us He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. He is everywhere. He sees all things. He knows all things. He is every place all at the same time. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, You know, whither shall I go from his presence? I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I ascend into hell, behold, thou art there. If I make my place in the wilderness, thou art there. Even the darkness shall not hide me from thee. The light and the darkness are both alike to thee. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. 
God is everywhere. He dwells in the past, present, and the future all at the same time. He knows no time. He's not bound by time. You and I are bound by time. We live by time. Everything is determined by time. Jesus even said in John 3, 13, speaking to Nicodemus, No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. See, God is everywhere. Revelation chapter 1 tells us he dwells in the midst, he walks in the midst of his churches. Now he's got churches all over the world. And he's walking in the midst of those churches. So it speaks of his omnipresence. It also speaks of his omnipotence, that the fact that he has all power. You know, the, the idea that the, you know, these creatures are, you know, have four faces, a lion, a calf, an eagle, a man, tells us that he has power over all of his creation. You know, think about it. This is the God who can rain down angel food and feed two million some people in the wilderness. And when they got tired of the angel food, he just brought quail with the wind that fall into the camp, again, to feed two million people, and so much so that, so that they, they, they made gluttons of themselves and it came out their nostrils. He can make a donkey talk. A cow to lead her, leave her calf, her sucking calf. Now, I understand this because that is very unusual. You, if, if you leave a, cow, a calf with her mother for just a little while, you're going to have a hard time separating the two. You know, I've, had, I've had mother cows come after me because I was trying to take the calf away. But here, a cow left her calf to take the Ark of the Covenant back to the children of Israel, bawling the whole way along. But left her calf. Or a lion to kill a disobedient prophet and not kill the donkey. He sent hornets to drive out the Canaanites. Plagues in the land of Egypt a whale to swallow his disobedient prophet, a raven, which is a scavenger, to feed his prophet, a shepherd boy to slay a giant. He can make the barren fruitful, a virgin to bring forth the son of God who would die and be buried in a borrowed tomb because he only needed it three days. Because he resurrected from the dead, offering life to whosoever will. You know, this is God of all power. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. See, this is the sovereign God and he is seated on his throne. That is our God. And we need to remind ourselves that though the wickedness reigns in the world, nothing is... By his surprise, everything is going as he said it would. That sounds terrible, I know. Because often people will say, if there's a God, why is all this wickedness in the world? You know, as if it's his fault. 
Well, that brings us to the second point. He is a sovereign God who limits himself to his covenant promises. Notice verse 3. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. I guess jasper is red and a sardine, I can't remember what the color, it really doesn't matter. But here's, here's the point. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And I know the queer crowd uses the rainbow as their symbol. But I'm sorry, God used it as a sign long before that. And the rainbow is a sign of his covenant that he made with man in Genesis chapter 9. In Genesis chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. Genesis 9 Verses 10 through 13. After Noah come off the ark, the Lord said, verse 9, And I will establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you, with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl of the, and of the cattle and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you, Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the to token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. Now, you know, when we say a bow, it's a semicircle. But this bow is round about the throne. It's completely encircling the throne. It's, it doesn't end. And see, this is, a, this is a promise that God will keep his covenants to us. This is an assurance of that. You see, the sovereign God limits himself to his promises, to his own word. And God in his sovereignty has given man a free will. A right to exercise choosing to obey the Lord or not to obey him. You know, and God, of course, God is merciful and he gives man, gives man manifold opportunities to repent. For example, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, you know, prior to the flood... It says, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet shall his days, his days shall be 120 years. So God said, okay, Noah, these people are going to have 120 years, 120 years to repent. 120 years. And 1 Peter 3.20 says, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. See, God waited. God gave man opportunity to repent. And even here in Revelation, chapter 2 and verse 21, speaking of Jezebel, in writing to the church at Thyatira, it says, And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. And in chapter 9, verse 20, chapter 9, verse 20, again, when, it, when God begins to pour out his judgment on the earth during the tribulation period, you know, and he's given man opportunity to repent, 
And it says in, the, in chapter 9, verse 20, And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of their works of their hands, that they should worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, neither, which neither can see nor hear nor walk, neither repented they of their murderers nor of their sorceries nor of their fornication nor of their thefts. They refused to repent. Chapter 16 Verse 9, again, chapter 16, verse 9, And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which had power over these plagues, and they repented not to give Him glory. Verse 11, And blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of these. It reminds me of what we're going through in Sunday school class, brother, what I was going through, of the, of the plagues in Egypt. You know, all the Lord, all Pharaoh would have had to do was repent. And the plagues would have stopped. Well, see, Pharaoh said, Who's the Lord that I should obey him? See, God has given man, he's limited himself to his promises. He's given man a free will, a power to choose. God gave Nineveh opportunity to repent to the discouragement of Jonah. <laughs> But he did. He gave them opportunity to repent, and they repented. He gave opportunity to Israel to repent before the captivity. Jesus gave opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to the Pharisees to repent. He said, I would have gathered you as a hen gathered her chickens, her chicks. And you would not. You would not. You see, God has, and God has made promises to his children that he has obligated himself to keep. If he didn't keep his promises, he'd have to deny himself. John 28, 29, 10, 28, 29. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. They shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Ephesians 4, 30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. He said he, so he's promised to, he, that he's sealed us, or he's going to keep us, till the day that we go to be with him. Philippians 1 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. In other words, he's going to continue to work in your life to bring you into the, to the conformity of Christ until the day of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common man. But God is faithful, who not suffer to be tempted above that you're able, will with a temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. And as we looked at two weeks ago, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And Revelation 3, 9 it says the very same thing, basically, in different language, uh, where he says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of the Satan, uh, which say they are Jews and are not, come worship in thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. See, God is, God is going to keep us from the, his wrath being poured out. From the time of his wrath being poured out on the earth. He's not appointed us to that. Spurgeon said this, quote, O child of God, thy heavenly Father in his sovereignty has a right to do with you, his child, as he pleases. But he will never let that sovereignty get out of the limit of his covenant. As a sovereign, 
he might cast you away. But he has promised that he never will. And never will he. As a sovereign, he might leave you to perish. But he has said, I will not leave thee nor forsake thee. As a sovereign, he might suffer you to be tempted beyond your strength. But he has promised that no temptation hath taken you, such as is common to man. And that he will make, with the temptation, to make a way to escape. Unquote. You see, God limits himself to his promises. He has obligated himself to keep his word to us. Yes, he can do as he pleases. But he will limit what he pleases to his promises. You know, he didn't throw away Israel when they made the golden calf. Even though he wanted to. He wanted to. He told Moses, you know, I'll just destroy this people and make a new nation out from you. But Moses reminded him of his promises to his people. And so we see that he is sovereign, but he also limits himself to his covenant promises. But let's notice the third thing. He is the rewarder of the faithful. Notice in verse 4, And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. They held on their heads crowns of gold. Now, as I mentioned, God doesn't tell us everything, just what we need to know. Now, the question is, the big question is, who are the 24 elders? Well, we know that they're not angels. Some people seem to think they're angels, but they can't be angels. Angels are never clothed in white raiment with crowns. These are victor crowns, and they're not diadems like a king a, a, a royal sovereign, but they're, they're crowns of victory, like, a, like an Olympic runner gets. It's, you know, it's a victor's crown, not clinging of crowns. Angels are never called elders. Angels will not sing the new song of the redeemed given to us in chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, where it says, and they sung a new song, speaking about the elders, they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God, and angels are not redeemed. They're just ministering spirits to those that God has redeemed. Redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. So, we believe these 24 elders then are representatives of God's people. Old and New Testament. Now, uh, The Bible talks about, of course, there's 24 here. There are 12 tribes and there are 12 apostles. And if you look in Revelation chapter 21, it talks about the new the city, the new city. You know, it uh, it makes reference to both Revelation 21 and verse uh, uh, 12. Says and had a great wall and high and had 12 gates and 12 gates 12 angels. And the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles 
of the Lamb. So there again you have the, the, the Old Testament, uh, the 12 tribes with the 12 apostles. Uh, and this also is made reference to in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 and verses 9 and 10. In the vision that Daniel had, uh, he describes a similar scene. In Daniel 7, verse 9, it says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down. Now, he's talking, those thrones that are cast down are the thrones of the kingdoms of the world. They're cast down. And the ancient of days, that's the Lord, did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fires. You've got the wheels again. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, thousands thousands ministered unto him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were open. Okay? Look at chapter, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11. And it says, And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. I believe it's the same scene. And again, you have the 24 elders here. And so we believe that they are the representative of all of God's people. You know, even Enoch. You know, the, these are the, what the Bible calls overcomers. In chapter 3, verse 21, it says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. You know, John says in just John 5, 5, that the overcomer is he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. But I would submit to you that Abel was an overcomer. You know, we always say, you know, the people of the Old Testament got saved the same way as the people of the New Testament. They just looked forward and we look back. Abel believed the Messiah was coming. That's why he brought a lamb. That lamb pictured the lamb of God, which would take away the sin of the world. By the way, he wasn't Israel. He was before Israel. So I believe, again, we're, I think we're, these, are, these 24 elders are representative of the saints of God. Now, again, I, I'm not dogmatic about that. You know, Jude talks about Enoch. In fact, in Jude verses 14, 14 and 15, Jude says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their ungodly, uh, hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Again, that's talking about the Lord coming to judge the world in the tribulation period. So these have, re and these have received, these elders, representative of God's saints, have received crowns, victor's crowns, which mean they have passed through judgment. They have been judged. These, these are victor crowns. So they're judged for their works, not for their salvation. They've already been saved. That's why they're there. But they've been judged for their works, and they've received the reward 
of their works. That's why they have crowns. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 describes that. You know, we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in this body, whether they be good or whether they be evil or worthless. And so, so they've received their crowns. They've passed through their judgment. And, and, and we are reminded that he is the enabler or the cause of the crowns. If you drop down to verse 10, it says, The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne. You know, so he is, he is, as I mentioned this morning, he's the source of power to live a victorious life. It's all about him. The flesh profiteth nothing. Paul said. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that word grace there means the enabling power of God. The grace of God enabled Paul to do what he did. It was all of God. He said, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So God, the Lord, is the enabler or the cause of the crowns that we will receive and then we will cast at his feet. That's what they're saying. These really belong to you because thou art worthy. One commentator said this, quote, there is an, also an allusion to the practice in the Roman Empire. The emperor of Rome ruled over many lesser kings, and these kings were at times commanded to come before the emperor and lay their crowns before him in homage. Then he would give them back as a demonstration that their crowns, their right to rule, their victory came from him. So this is an allusion to the custom of prostrations in the east and to the homage of petty kings acknowledging the supremacy of the emperor. Unquote. And so, you know, they acknowledge in their worship, they acknowledge that he is the enabler of these crafts. And then, finally, he is worthy. If you notice in verse 11, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Yet God has made all things for himself. Now, somebody might say, that's selfish. Hey, it is rightfully his by design. He made you. He made you. He gave you life. Should he not have some claim? I mean, if you made something and it turned out that it was valuable and could be marketed, would you be upset if somebody else patented it, Bradley? You bet you would. Why do we think it's right for us to take from God what is rightfully His? And He made man. He made all things for Himself, all of creation. But He made man distinct from all of creation. He made man with a spirit able to worship and fellowship with him. 
Sorry, dogs don't have spirits. They don't have a God consciousness. Now, maybe you think your dog's special, and that's fine if you think it's special, but I'm sorry, but it doesn't have a spirit. He can't worship God. You see, God made man in his image with a spirit able to worship and fellowship with him. In fact, Proverbs 8.31 says that talks about the Son of God rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth. It's his earth. And my delights were with the sons of men. God delighted in fellowshipping with man. Of course, sin marred that relationship. And God then had to make a way to redeem man to himself. Of course, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we have been designed, we have been made for the Lord. And I have found out, I have found out in the few years that I have lived, that things work best for what they're made for. You know, my pocket knife doesn't work very well as a window scraper. I mean, it may scrape the windows, but I ruin it as a knife. Because it dulls it. You know, I, and I use it to scrape metal. And then I wonder why I can't cut a string. I wonder if he cut my finger. I probably would. But, um, you know, it doesn't work very well as a knife if I don't use it just as a knife. You know, know, the reason there's so much misery and heartache and sorrow in the world is because we don't live the way God designed us to live. Second Timothy 1 9, Bible says, Who has saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. See, God has a purpose for your life and mine. And until we fulfill that purpose, learn what that purpose is, what God's will is for your life, and then strive to fill it. You know, really what that is is just submitting to his will. You're not going to find the peace and satisfaction that life can give you. It may be in Africa somewhere. It may be a place that nobody else wants to go. But see, he has created us for his pleasure and for his purpose. Spurgeon again said this, quote, because they represent all the people of God, talking about 24 elders, the worship, the crown, the robes, the heart of these 24 elders belongs to us also. There is a throne in heaven that no one can occupy but you. There is a crown in heaven that no other head can wear but yours. There is a part in the eternal song that no voice can ever compass but yours. There is a glory to God that would be wanting if you did not come to render it. And there is a part of infinite majesty and glory that would never be reflected unless you should be there to reflect it. Unquote. See, God has a place for you. 
You know, it was God's desire for everyone to be at this judgment. Not everyone will be. The majority are going to be at the great white throne judgment that will come in Revelation chapter 20. But God desires every one of us to be a part of that royal court. And we can be if we'll repent and receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. That guarantees us a place in the courtroom. Oh, we have a wonderful God. He is sovereign. He is sovereign, but yet He has given us the privilege, the opportunity to choose. See, nobody's going to stand before God one day and say, He never gave me a choice. Because He has. And He will. But He loves us. He desires that you and I have a relationship and fellowship with Him. And we can if we will come to Him in repentance and faith in Christ. Do you have that relationship? Do you have that fellowship with Him tonight? You know, will you have a place in the courtroom? Let's pray.